welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, welcome to Church at the Well. My name is VJ. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, one of the things we love to do as we gather every week is to talk in church. And so I want to give you a moment with uh, someone who's near you. Uh, and if you're sitting on your own, move over and find someone and talk about this question. What is the best party or wedding you've ever been to? Best party or wedding you've ever been to? Take a moment and talk about that together. are in a series called the Upside Down Party. These are the directions back to or to um, life-giving relationship with God and with each other. And we've been exploring each of those kind of directions over the last few weeks. When we talk about up, we mean like uh, facing God in our worship life with God and our relationship with God, that that is the first or the beginning point of finding life. Side is about the relationships we have with each other in the faith community. We talk about how God uses those to actually help us become the people we long to be. Last week, we talked about down as in getting underneath the burdens of those who are struggling, who are victims of injustice, who are hurting, who need help and moving that way in our lives. Um, and in fact, the, um, the author that we're borrowing this language from, who's a pastor, a friend of mine who wrote a book called The Upside Down Life, which we give away here now at the end of our service for any of you who are new or new to faith or exploring faith. He actually uses the analogy and says, you know, these, these directions upside down are kind of like a sail. Whereas if you were going to put a, a sail on a boat or a windsurfer or whatever, you would need all, you would need it to be going up and to the side to make sure there's that nice kind of triangle to catch wind and down anchored. And he said, when that happens, like anything, you are able to catch the wind. And when the sail is full and you can catch the wind, 
Woo! You are partying. This was me trying my hand at windsurfing. I do it like once a year, badly, every summer. But um, man, when you get that uh, little sail up and catch the wind and crank it in and pull it, and you start to go and you feel like the water flying by underneath your board, it is so fun. And, and he said, like, this is what uh, the party part is about. Uh, the upside down party. It is the outcome of that kind of a life. But most people don't really think about party when it comes to church. Like nobody goes to church to party, do they? Um, actually remember in university bringing a couple of my friends from business school to the church that I went to on campus and they were sitting with me in the front row and the band cranks it up and everyone starts to sing and my friend turns to me and says, BJ, holy bleep, this is way more fun than the bar we went to last night. Uh, so he kind of thought it was a party. But anyways, so uh, he came back. Uh, but people don't think of church as a party. In fact, like, you know, Christians are accused of a lot of things. Um, but one of the things you don't hear Christians accused of a lot is they have way too much fun. Um, people don't associate party with church or with faith. Uh, in, in part, maybe because it like it seems like oh, people who go to church or go to a place of worship, whatever, they do so out of duty or routine or tradition, or oh, I should probably go. Oh, I got to get up early tomorrow. It's not really something that's associated with fun. Or perhaps you have people of faith who they party, but their party has nothing to do with their faith. These two things don't fit together for them. And yet, that is a big deal because we're actually talking about that direction, the last part of this thing, the party. And in fact, after service today, we are having a party, a family meal together. And it's a big problem if we don't think that party and faith go together for a couple of reasons. One is that Jesus, the one we follow, had a reputation of being a pretty big partier. In fact, there's one conversation he's having with the religious leaders and he's saying, hey, you guys, I eat and drink so often with other people that you, I've got a reputation. Apparently you call me a drunk and a glutton. Well, how does someone develop a reputation for being a drunk and a glutton except that they're always at parties? So we follow the one who seemed to do this, who seemed to party regularly as a part of his life and with his followers. Um, Secondly, the, the upside down party thing means that if we are truly living a life that is up, up towards God and we have a dynamic life-giving relationship with God, if we are really uh, invested in the side-by-side relationships with people in the faith community where we are uh, a part of a family together, learning and growing to become the people we're meant to be, if we are really um, moving down to get underneath the burdens of those who need help, the inevitable outcome of an upside down life is a party, is feeling the wind in your sails, is joy and delight. And so we have to wrestle with this and say, what does it look like for us to actually have party as a dimension or direction or orientation in our life as the faith community? And maybe if you're new or you're exploring faith or you're exploring the faith community, you might want to know that too. Because, hey, if this is a place where we party together, we have fun. Hey, you want to be here. So to do that, we're actually going to look at uh, an account that occurs pretty early on in one of the biographies of Jesus written by one of Jesus' closest friends. and one of his disciples, John. 
And John records this account um, that we're going to read almost at the very beginning of his story or his biography of Jesus. And it's interesting because John is not so concerned about the chronology of events as in the significance of the events themselves. And in fact, this one event we're going to read is almost one of the very first ones that is recorded. And because of that, it's odd. It's strange that this story occurs in Jesus' um, biography at all. And it's definitely strange that it occurs right at the beginning where John would place a lot of significance on this story to tell it as one of the opening parts of his account of the life of Jesus. So I want you to listen to this somewhat strange story. And if, you, if, you've, if you're familiar with it, you'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, maybe you miss or forgot how odd it is. And if you never heard it before, you'll probably spot it right away. So let's listen together. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. What in all the world is going on here? I mean, is, is Jesus a frat house hero? Like, man, if my friend liked the church service, that he would have loved if Jesus was at a party that turned water into wine, right? The wine runs out at this wedding. Jesus takes these stone jars that would have been pretty large, fills them with water, and turns all of this water into the best wine, hundreds and hundreds of bottles worth. That's how much uh, water would have been in there that became wine. But what on earth is this miracle about? Like, why did Jesus even do that? Um, and secondly, why did John write it down? And why did John put it very early on in his biograph biographical account of Jesus' life? Um, and, and John mentions it as the first miracle Jesus does, which is strange because he goes on to do some other miracles that maybe you've heard of before, or if you didn't, you'd be like, well, yeah, those are really important. Like uh, there's one, uh, one of the miracles, Jesus heals a boy who's sick, who's about to die. Uh, in another case, he uh, heals someone who's a paraplegic who could not walk and helps him, like basically heals him so he can walk. He heals a man who had been blind from 
birth, who was now well into uh, his life and adulthood, had been blind his whole life, and Jesus heals him. Jesus feeds thousands of, of poor people, people who are hungry and needing food. He feeds them. He even raises somebody from the dead later on in, J- in John's biography. Like all of those are things that you go, yeah, okay, that's, that's not only really powerful, that's really useful. All those people were really happy. And that's kind of what we would expect Jesus to do. Those are the miracles. If you've heard of the miracles of Jesus or you follow Jesus, you think, yeah, that's the stuff that's like, wow, that is amazing. This particular miracle of turning water into wine, you know what it did? Just here for a moment. It saved a couple from embarrassment. <laughs> what is that about? Like, that's all it did. Basically, they were, you know, ran out of wine. It's not a good thing if you're hosting a party and you run out of wine. It would have been very shameful for the family. But that's pretty much it. I mean, that was really the major issue. And there's no telling that these are people that Jesus really, really cared about. He just got invited to a wedding with his disciples. What is the deal? Why is this even here? And, and then, then, never mind saving the couple from embarrassment, he makes like hundreds of bottles of the best wine ever to give to people who are too drunk to already to know any better. They've already been into the cheap wine, apparently, up to this point. So what on earth is going on? Why does John include this in there? And why is this so important for us to actually understand that partying is a spiritual practice that we need to understand and incorporate as a part of our lives? Um, there's lots of uh, things going on in this miracle. I don't totally understand all of it. And you read different commentators, you get different perspectives. But I think there's one thing that's noted that's very interesting that I think is a clue to something that is significant, at least for our purposes today. John says this, uh, unique to actually the other uh, accounts of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John says, this was the first sign And he uses the word sign and that word sign for John and in the ancient world and um, the Greek word that this is translated from and also in the Hebrew context that was John's uh, readers and listeners. A sign of something was, was meant to draw attention to something or in fact someone in particular, in this case Jesus, in the context of kind of religion or faith or whatever, it was this way of proving it was proof that this person had divine authority or was someone sent from God or had some kind of divine power. So it was uh, attention, drawing attention to a person, showing that this person, that that it was proving that they had divine authority and the sign itself had some kind of deeper meaning associated with it. So in a sense, the sign was pointing to a person and a purpose. That's what a sign was. Um, And John says, this is the first sign of the many signs that Jesus did, pointing to a person and a purpose. And again, if we think about some of the other signs, even if you're not familiar with them, but if you've read them, that makes sense. Pointing to a person, drawing attention, proving that they had divine power and that there was some deeper meaning. Like for example, when when Jesus heals someone who couldn't walk, who was uh, considered lame, or someone who was blind from birth, that was significant because there was a saying that actually came from King David way back in Israel's history, that the blind and the lame would not enter the kingdom of God. We don't know all the reasons for that, but some of that was associated with this idea that if you were sick, or especially if you had, if you were born with a kind of illness or born with an ailment, like certainly the man born blind, that was a curse. And there are many people who might still think that today in some case, whether it's karma or something else. That was a part of kind of the Jewish understanding of faith and how God worked. That if you were sick, especially blind and lame, you were not going to be in the kingdom of God. You were cursed in in some ways. 
So Jesus healing someone who couldn't walk, he, restoring the sight of someone who was blind was his way of saying, no, you are included. You, you, are, you are blessed now because you are healed. You are rescued. You are brought in. You're not cursed. You are loved. So there was a, it was a sign, certainly a miracle. People are saying, wow, who's this guy who can open the eyes of the blind? It was a, drawing attention. It was proving that Jesus had divine power, but there was a meaning underneath it saying, wow, Jesus is showing. This is a radically inclusive kind of um, God um, who was bringing people like the blind and lame close and saying, no, they belong. They belong. The sick are not cursed and outcast and just pushed outside to beg. Then when Jesus goes on and provides food for the poor, again, not only in that uh, time and not just in Jewish culture, but in many cultures were sick people considered cursed, poor people were considered cursed. It was an agrarian society and most of the food was grown and the rain had to rain to grow crops. And so if the rain didn't come, that meant God wasn't uh, showing favor on you. Therefore, if you were poor or your family was poor or your family refused to help you in some way, that meant there was something wrong with you. You must have sinned. You must have screwed up. You were not included. You were cast out. You were a nameless, faceless, poor person sent outside to beg for food. And so Jesus in providing food was showing care and love and dignity, using his power in the service of people who, who were powerless. So it was another radical movement, not just drawing attention to the power of Jesus, but showing the meaning underneath this, that Jesus is saying, no, I'm forming a new kind of community. People who other people said don't belong or are outcast or rejected by God. No, I'm saying they belong. They're the ones who get my attention. They're the ones who I give my power to. And then, of course, those who were rescued from death, it wasn't just about, hey, that's a good thing. Your Jesus, your friend died, and now you raise him back to life, and his family's glad to have him back. Of course they were. But Jesus said one time when he raised someone from the dead, I am the resurrection and the life. It had a deeper meaning. The, the meaning was, I am actually reversing the curse of death itself. Sin's curse on this world, this broken life, this broken earth, the ultimate evidence of brokenness is death that claims everyone's life. And when Jesus would save people from death or actually raise people from the dead, it was his way of saying, I have divine power to undo the story that has been everyone's story. Undo the power of death. So all of those miracles had a deeper meaning. So what's with the wine? Why the wine? It seems like it doesn't belong. Okay, it maybe, you know, showed a bit of proof of Jesus' power, but couldn't have been a cheap parlor trick that he had it lined up and it was his first miracles and maybe he was just, you know, it's strange. Was Jesus just testing out his powers on some, you know, lower key miracles that if it didn't go well, oh, who cares? Just leave the wedding. No one will know anyways. It seemed like nobody even knew what happened, where the wine came from anyways. So this wasn't, what is going on in here? Again, I think there's clues in the story itself and it has to do with both the wine and a wedding. Jesus' miracle of the wine at the wedding was not just getting people's attention, or at least these readers' attention or his disciples' attention, was not just proof that Jesus was, had divine authority, was the son of God. It was all, also had a deeper meaning. And that meaning is so tied to our understanding of why party is a spiritual practice for the people of God. See, first of all, wine. The, the idea of wine in first century and in the scriptures we see um, wasn't just about um, the, the, the drink itself. Wine was symbolic of joy, celebration, and abundance. 
if you had wine, you brought out wine for your friends or whatever, certainly at a wedding, because you were celebrating, the family who was hosting the wedding was celebrating love and union, or you had people over and you served them wine to show them that you were, you were glad that they were there and this was a special occasion. So joy and celebration. But also, if you had a lot of wine, and in this case, by the end, a lot of really good wine, it showed that there was an abundance, that you were wealthy. So there was a richness associated. So it had an association of joy, abundance and celebration, that that's what wine was. The meaning here is that with Jesus, that there is, um, this isn't just about, hey, I was able to turn water into wine and now this couple avoids the embarrassment of running out of wine in front of their guests. This was a sign. That's why John includes it at the beginning saying, Jesus is bringing a kind of joy and celebration and in fact, an abundance like we've never seen. I mean, the amount of wine Jesus makes clearly has nothing to do with how much was needed because the wedding was almost over. They had already gone through most of the wine, way more than was needed, way better than most of the people would have even appreciated, right? The master of ceremony says, why'd you bring out the good wine at the end? Everyone's drunk now. They're not going to notice. What was Jesus doing with this miracle of joy and celebration and abundance was saying, I have more joy and celebration and abundance than you could ever hope for or imagine. The in fact, later on, Jesus refers to his teaching or his love like wine, like his presence. And so this was Jesus actually pointing to himself to say, I am the source of joy and celebration and abundance. When you are with me, you celebrate because I bring life to the party. That's what this, this was about in a way that is more, that better, more than you could ever ask for and better than the best you've ever tasted. Jesus says, it's me. And then secondly, he combines it with the location or the event at a wedding. It's so interesting, Jesus does this miracle of the wedding and John records it because as Jesus would go on to teach in his ministry, he would often refer to God's kingdom or the, the age to come, like where the story was heading as a, um, a banquet or a feast. And in fact, a wedding. And at times he would allude to the fact that he was the bridegroom that he was going to come for a bride. He was going to return for a bride. And in fact, if you read the last page of the Bible or the last book of the Bible, the last, uh, last couple pages in the book of Revelation, it actually tells us that our story is heading towards an endless party. It's actually heading towards a wedding. The, the writers of Revelation describe the end of all things as Jesus returning to bring us together as his bride, his family, and to celebrate his love for us and our love for him in an endless wedding party, a celebration, a feast. That that's actually where this is going. That party is the end of the story forever. And this miracle shows not only joy and a, and a um, uh, celebration and abundance, but moving towards a kind of, uh, uh, right? The, a wedding party, uh, a, a wedding is the best party you could ever go to, right? The, the best parties are the best weddings in the sense of people you know, you know all the inside jokes, people you're so glad they're together where the food's amazing, the wine's amazing, it's free, you know everybody else, the music's killer. Like it's the best parties are a wedding because love is at the center and there's a feast around it. And the scriptures say, that's where your story and my story is heading. That's why the people of God would party because we're like, oh yeah, this is our story. See, water into wine was not just a sign pointing to a person, 
to, to prove to us and them that this is God's divine son. This is the son of God. It's actually showing a purpose that we are meant to um, walk in and live out and demonstrate in our own lives that we follow Jesus as the source of joy and celebration and abundance that he gives um, more than we could ever ask for and better than the best things we have tasted. And our story is heading to a final wedding feast where we will be at the best party ever that will go on forever where love is at the center, but there will be real food and real wine and real joy and a family to celebrate with. You see, friends, the biographies of Jesus show us Jesus living a full upside down party life. He lived in a life of dependence and prayer on the Father, God, and taught us how to pray. He lived in intimate, challenging, growing, nourishing relationships with his disciples, his friends, and the people around him. And he started a community like that called the church. He moved down to get underneath the burdens of those who were victims of injustice, those who were oppressed, those who were poor, those who were pushed aside and scattered, marginalized. And he partied. It was a part of his life. Not because his life was easy, but even though his life was hard, this was a part of his journey. And therefore, Jesus followers, we also need to have a regular practice in our lives as we live upside down and we party. That it is a spiritual practice in our lives. And yet, our parties are meant to be unique. They're meant to be a different kind of parties, parties with a purpose. And here's what I, what I want to say, because in general, and this is part of why we don't put party and faith together in many respects. In general, not every party, but in general, parties uh, around us are marked by a few things. One, they are often marked by exclusivity. Like a party is good if it's like, oh, exclusive invitation, you get it in the mail from the real estate agent, which it's not exclusive because it went to hundreds of people or whatever, right? But like VIP lines in front of the line or whatever, anyway, like the idea of a party is, oh, exclusive, only certain people to get there. Or perhaps if you're in high school or whatever, or sometimes adults do this too, it's like, oh, who's going to that party? Oh, I want to know who else was invited. That'll make it whether I want to go or not. Oh, that person's not going or I probably want Oh, they're going. I definitely want to be there. Oh, who's at that party? This idea of exclusivity often marks the way the world parties. Secondly, parties are often marked by or dependent on substances, whether it's the venue, how nice is it? Is it a nice place, a nice restaurant, or this person has a beautiful house or a beautiful kitchen or a beautiful dining table or beautiful decor or whatever, or the food itself or alcohol or drugs, right? Parties are often marked by the substances. There's a dependence on the substances, but they're not actually substantial, meaning we're not really filled up. We may get full, may get drunk, may get high, but we're not actually, the next day we're feeling emptier than ever. It's not actually, those kind of parties, they are dependent on substances and therefore they're not substantial enough. They're too thin. They don't actually fill us. Often exclusive, often dependent on substances. Um, and in fact, sometimes escapist, <laughs> that we party because life sucks. So let's forget our troubles, forget our job, forget our family, forget our divorce, forget what's going on with our kids, forget our health. Let's just drink and smoke up or have a nice meal or, you know, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die or you only live once or whatever. Let's escape the hard things of life by a party, which may work for the night, but it doesn't actually give hope for the next day. In fact, perhaps life can feel harder the next day. 
Any one of us that have battled through addictions to substances, you know you go to it to escape, but it makes going back into the real world harder every time. Escapist, but not hopeful. Friends, Jesus partied with a purpose. The parties of Jesus were inclusive, not exclusive. In fact, he was, the doors were so wide open that the people who were sure they didn't want to come was because of how wide the doors were. In fact, they were like, well, how come you're eating with that person? How come you're eating with that person? The religious leaders didn't like Jesus' parties because of how inclusive they were. Because him, them being at the table with him said something about how he thought about them and whether he loved them and whether he accepted them. You got to come to Jesus' parties not based on your moral good standing, not based on your family name, not based on your wealth or health, not based on your skin color, not based on how much you knew of the Torah or whatever. Um, the only requirement apparently to be at a party of Jesus was that you wanted to be with Jesus, that you were maybe curious about who Jesus was. Even if you were a little bit skeptical about who Jesus was, you were allowed to come to the party. The only requirement was that you were interested, curious, skeptical, hopeful in some way to get a little closer to Jesus. It was the only requirement to be at his parties. They were radically inclusive <laughs> and they were not dependent on substances like the rest of the people he was used to, that were used to partying, that he partied with. His parties were substantial. They filled people because at his parties, there was conversation. There was prayer. There was encouragement. There was challenge. There was teaching. There was wisdom. There was grace. There was forgiveness. There was kindness. There were miracles. There was healing. Jesus' parties were substantial. People left feeling full on the inside, feeling alive again, feeling an abundance of joy and celebration on the inside. And finally, Jesus' parties were not escapist. They were hopeful because at every party Jesus was at, he was helping them with the hard things they had to embrace for the next day. And he kept talking about the future feast, the future wedding, the kingdom to come. There is a better story being written that will one day make this life and this pain seem small. We don't have to escape the hard things of life. We celebrate to remember that we have hope for the life to come. That was what Jesus parties were like. And that's what the Jesus follower parties should be like now. Radically inclusive, substantial, not dependent on substances, and hopeful, not escapist. Friends, we need to have parties like that. It's actually why in our, in our home groups where, which, where we follow this upside down party rhythm, we party twice, basically once a month as, as home group people. Our home groups are not based on affinity, people you like or friend groups. They're not based on age or life stage or ethnicity or anything or the size of your house. They're based just kind of on where you live and geography. And so you're gonna find in a group, a pretty diverse community of people. So we can learn what it's like to become a family, a community together that Jesus gathers around. Um, our parties are meant to be substantial where we, yeah, we could have wine there and we could have good food there, but we're not dependent on it. We don't need it to have a good time. We don't need tons of it or too much of it because the conversation, the community is what fills us up, is what is substantial. A friend of mine has um, a couple that he knows that works in Spain with a community of artists. And uh, they are artists themselves and they're working to introduce them to Jesus. And they would have these parties where they would just host food and people would come. And they noticed this one um, girl who would come regularly and she would 
eat very little, but always would take a takeout container and put her food in and, and sort of, and keep it for later and then leave. And they asked her one day, they said, oh, like, do you, you know, are you okay? Do you have enough food at home? Do you want to stay? We noticed you take some. She's like, oh, no, no. She's like, I just, I don't want to distract myself by the food when I'm here because the conversation is so rich. And then I take the food and I go home. And when I eat the food, I remember the community. When I taste it, it reminds me of the richness of the conversation. Friends, that is a substantial party. That's a party not dependent on substances, but it is of dynamic substance that we leave full. That's the kind of parties we're meant to have. And we party even when life is hard. Because life is hard, not to escape it, but to remind each other, hey, there's a better day coming. Yes, sometimes we grieve, sometimes we pray together, sometimes we, we beat our chest and we say, God, why, why? And we do that for each other and we carry each other's burdens. And we also stop and eat and drink and laugh together because we remember this life is not all there is. You don't only live once. A better story is coming. Hope is coming. Therefore, we can stop and celebrate a little today. Friends, the little bit of wine and little bit of food and little bit of community and party that we have now never feels like enough, does it? But it's a taste. It's an experience. It's a clue. It's a sign, not just pointing to Jesus, the person who is the host of every meal and every party we have, but it is pointing to the meaning that he had and that he gave to say, someday your life is heading towards a beautiful end where you and I will be in the forever wedding feast (laughs) where we get to be in the center of the love of God for us and our love for him and our love with each other and there will be an actual party and an actual community that will never end. So, that's true. Then I want to encourage you to party better this fall. Better parties this fall. For some of you, that may mean joining Alpha, which we always have food at and great conversation at, and everyone is welcome, no matter where you are in your faith journey and what backgrounds you have or what questions you have. That's what Alpha's for. And we do that together. That's starting the first week of October. Also starting the first week of October is our home groups. And so maybe you're joining again or joining for the first time to be part of the upside down party rhythm that we have in our home groups. Our party nights are the best nights on home group nights. And uh, so I'd encourage you to do that this fall. But also today, this very day, we're going to do this together. We are going to party. We're going to have a family meal together. So we'd love to invite invite you to stick around, to not leave, to join the party. You didn't need to bring anything. Um, But what I'd encourage you to do as you eat is uh, a couple of things. One is find someone you don't know or haven't seen in a long time. And just, just go over to say them, hug it out or whatever it is you're comfortable with. Um, Ask someone in your home group, if you're part of a home group, ask them, hey, how are we going to party better this year? (laughs) We got to do this better. How do we do this this year? And I would say as part of the party, since this is a radically inclusive party, that's what the Jesus parties are like. Look for someone or a pair or a family sitting on their own and go join them and just say, hey, can I join you? And just get to know each other. That's what this is for. You know, Jen and I have been in a home group, uh, different home groups for many years uh, since we started them here at the well. But the last couple of years we were in a home group where most of the people started just before or uh, during the pandemic. 
And so we found all kinds of creative ways to do parties. We did Zoom parties. We played games together and hung out together and talked. And then we did socially distanced parties around fireplaces. And then we did parties where we were a little bit closer and we had a little bit more food. And now we have lots of food and we have uh, a great time together. And um, this fall, we're actually birthing into two groups where uh, some of us are going to actually run Alpha and Vaughn. And then uh, the rest of our group is continuing on. And uh, our group was like, no, we don't want to, we don't want to do that until we have one more party. And so we arranged that to say, no, we're not done. We want to do this together. We want to have a, a send-off party for each other as we go and do what God has called us to do. And one person sort of texted um, in, in the email about that, uh, describing our group in this way. It said, we, st- we each started at different times from different places because we came in all the way through these last two and a half years, but grew into one family, never questioning our birth order because we all became one. And so true. This has become a community for us, upside down and party. And my prayer for you, um, if you're new or you're new to faith or you're coming in or this, is, this has been home for you for many times, whether you've been a part of a home group or alpha before or not, that you would find uh, a completeness, a wholeness in your life in this season of, of the upside down party where that sail is big to catch the wind, that you would have an experience of party with community here one that is radically inclusive, one that is not dependent on substances, but is very substantial. It fills you up. (laughs) And one that does not make you or lead you or you need to escape from your hard life, but even within it to have a chance to celebrate.